welcome to the Reflective Teaching in a Digital Age podcast series. In these conversations, we discuss technology-inspired changes in STEM education. The title of today's episode is Hidden Curriculum in Engineering. Nicole and I will talk with Dr. Edalis Villanueva Alarcón, who is an Associate Professor of Engineering Education in the University of Florida. In 2019, she received the Presidential Early Career Award for Scientists and Engineers for her NSF career project on hidden curriculum in engineering. Her research also focuses on mentoring of minoritized students and faculty in science and engineering and study of motivation and learning pathways in science and engineering education using mixed and multimodal tools. Dallas, welcome to our podcast. It's wonderful to have you here, um, and we're really excited for you to share your expertise and your knowledge today with our listeners. Um, if you don't mind to share your background with us um, and your research interest. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm delighted to be in this program. Um, I, my name is Idales Villanueva Alarcón. I come originally, I was... Um, in Puerto Rico, born and raised there, and I pursued a degree in chemical engineering. Uh, came to graduate school in um, the early 2000s in the University of Colorado Boulder, finished my degree in chemical engineering, transitioned into a postdoc um, in uh, neurobiology, and then realized in my postdoc that I was in, my, in the wrong career and decided to make a career switch at that time. Really became interested in engineering education. Um, didn't really have the financial means to get a PhD in engineering education. So I took a longer route, became a lecturer, um, started partnering with educational researchers. And 12, 13 years later, here I am <laughs> as an engineering ed researcher. Thank you. So can you tell us something about what you research? Yeah, um, I, I am very interested in the topic of hidden curriculum. And um, for those of you who don't know what hidden curriculum is, it's this idea of these hidden or not so explicit messages that can be communicated or not communicated in a working or learning environment. And it's those messages that tell you whether or not you belong in that environment. And uh, what do you think an example would be of, say, an engineering undergraduate program and what an example of a hidden curriculum would be in that case? One or two examples, maybe. Yeah, so, for example, um, if a professor is planning to do an engineering project um, and that professor is talking about professionalism, and he, he or she decides that the examples of professionalism tend to only ta tailor to one type of professional. You know, you need to dress in a certain way. You need to talk in a certain way. That may cue to other people that their personalities and their identities may not fit with what is known in the engineering profession. Um, Another example that comes to mind um, are advertisement materials that come in the form of jokes that define 
that define how an engineer should be. You know, we have these ideas of you have this socially awkward engineer and jokes around that uh, rather than really trying to change the messaging that, you know, we are all humans with different interests um, rather than trying to convey an identity or a persona of who an engineer is. So it just feels that the hidden curriculum could be applicable to different types of personalities and um, characteristics of these personalities, right? Absolutely. And and hidden curriculum really is is systemic. I mean, it, it is coming from the system, migrating um, through stru- different structures to the person. Um, and so that messaging can be interpreted in different ways by different people. Um, my research shows that many underrepresented Students and faculty, uh, many intersectional individuals are the most affected because they get more than one type of messaging um, compared to majority groups. And does the impact of the hidden curriculum, does it show up differently, would you say, in face-to-face versus online environments, or are these similar? Actually, um, it... It is worse in online environments because you are, it's difficult to understand the intentions of the person and to really read um, the the person's facial expressions or their behaviors. Whereas in an in-person, it's a little bit easier to tease out. Independently though, um, individuals are affected by the hidden curriculum and it can lead to emotional distress, anxiety, you know, mental health outcomes, et cetera. So it, it does it does affect, but online is, is a little bit difficult to 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 read read the environment around them and the situation. It's also short term, right? Um, interactions online tend to be an hour, two hours. Um, with an in person situation, you see them for a longer time. And I have to believe that. Many of the situations, maybe all the instructors expressing some of the, saying some of the comments or bringing up some of the ideas or stereotypes might not necessarily be something intentional, but it's something that they grew up with and really have difficulty seeing and understanding and understanding the impact of, of those things on the learners. So I guess my question is, how do we begin unpack that in from the standpoint of training, helping instructors to be aware of uh, hidden curriculum and the impact it has on the students? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. Um, and so just to, to clarify, my research has shown that um, in a classroom setting, um, about 50% of what is taught ends up being hidden. Um, and so even if an instructor teaches a topic, the student may be learning not just what is learned about the topic, but what is around the topic, right? So if an instructor chooses to emphasize one thing or the other, there's already an interpretation from the student about what that instructor values and what that instructor does not value. Um, So I think, um, and you're right, that it tends to be very unintentional. Um, Oftentimes, uh, you have a lot of uh, really willing instructors wanting to help the students, but in the process of wanting to help the students, if they don't take the time to understand the student's context and where they come from, any attempt to try to improve the situation actually ends up making it worse. 
Um, and so I think the first step for instructors is to um, really try to get to know the students, um, their interests, where they're coming from. They may be surprised that uh, some of them may not be as engaged in a classroom because, you know, it is a sign of respect in their cultures rather than, you know, they don't want to participate, right? And so having the instructors really recognizing the diversity of the students and what they bring is really important. And then also conveying openness to the students, I, I think it's equally important. So sometimes the, an instructor will come to the classroom and only will focus on the course content, but doesn't take the time to show the students, hey, I was a student, I was human, I understand what you're going through, and I'm here to help you. I'm not here to uh, minimize the rigor of the class, but I am here available for you if you need any support. And, and conveying that uh, in the classroom, but also in written form. You'd be surprised at how many syllabi and assignments and projects are written in such a rigorous way with little humanizing components on each one of them. Um, so, so adding some messages, my intent for this assignment is so that you can become a better engineer in these ways, right? Rather than this is the task that you have to do and you have a week to complete it. Um, thank you, that was very, very interesting. But I was wondering, um, you know, one of the pushbacks you get from instructors um, is I have so much to do. I have 200 students. I don't have the capacity to do this. But that comment you made about something like a simple phrase in a in a syllabus, how much farther it can go. So when you're setting the climate for the classroom, what are things that help? Um, it, you know, even as they're introducing the course, do you know? Have you found anything in your research that? Just like you said, a statement in the syllabus, like just some way how they introduce the content or the course, if that could be helpful. Yeah, uh, you know, the recommendation I'm about to provide is, is it, I can't really take the claim for it. It actually came from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Um, but but I have found that to be very valuable. Um, and, and, and it's a model called the TILT model um, where in an assignment or in a project, the instructor, rather than writing a whole paragraph on a section that says instructions, that paragraph is divided into three subheadings, task, purpose, and criteria. And so um, the task is basically, th these are the milestones that you will achieve in your assignment or project. The purpose really connects with what they will use an assignment similar to this in their future engineering profession and the intention behind designing such an activity. And then the criteria would be something like a rubric or an example of an older submission uh, so that students are aware of the expectations that they will have for that assignment. Uh, there, and there was a study from this, this group that showed that um, just making that minor change in one or two assignments was enough to increase um, performance scores of underrepresented groups by one or two, uh, point one or point two GPA points. So just a simple change in the phrasing makes a big difference. It doesn't require a lot of effort. Um, 
and, and really hitting curriculum doesn't require a lot of efforts. It's that extra, oh, and by the way, um, here are clear expectations of what I want, and this is how I'm going to help you. Are there suggestions for things not to do? Yeah, so um, my, my work does suggest that um, it is really important to make sure that um, when, when ascribing a student or when telling a student to respond that you are careful not to always point to that same student or you're careful not to always give voice to students who are already performing the way that the instructor wants. Um, at the same time, the instructor needs to be very careful to only choose one way by which a student can answer and respond. And by that, I mean some students are inherently introverted, right? And um, only saying, do you have any questions? Can you raise your hand? Already automatically removes the opportunity for some students to answer. Whereas if potentially they can consider including a one-minute paper, for example, that will include a lot more students um, and, and their voices can be heard in a more meaningful way. So, so really thinking about little minor changes that they can do to expand the voice of all the students in the classroom will cue a lot more inclusion in it too. I'm also curious about from the student perspective. So for example, you know, if again, the instructor is not using the right language um, and not taking opportunities to kind of to connect uh, to his or her audience, what is student, what is it okay for a student to do or how to approach an instructor about the matters of the hidden curriculum? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think um, it's a great question. One of the things is, I'll, for the students is to become aware that many many instructors do have good intentions and they do really want to help the students and, and coming with a mindset of you know my goal is to raise their awareness not necessarily to put them on a defensive mode that would then cause worse consequences for the student so i i, I always tell my students to to ask questions right and to ask questions seeking to try to understand intention. So if a student um, doesn't understand why an assignment was designed the way that they were, that it was, or why um, some students were called up in the class versus others, I, I think a student has the right to come to the instructor and say, you know, help, help me understand, you know, what is it that you're looking for in this assignment, right? Or, you know, I really liked this discussion. I wish I would have had more opportunities to share more content. You know, have you thought of uh, including a chat or a discussion board so I can contribute to a little bit more? You know, so offering some ideas and suggestions for inclusion and being an advocate in that way will help benefit other students. But also, also keeping in mind that, you know, it is not necessarily intentional and that the goal is really to help a wider group of students feel included in the classroom. And would this um, type of a scenario hold in an online environment? So one of the things that Natasha and I have been asking a lot of our guests is this idea of how to build trust. Um, and as I'm thinking about 
um, these smaller, as you're saying, smaller things that the instructor can do. It's definitely about building this kind of relationship-rich environment in a physical environment or face-to-face -face environment. How would you see this working in an online space? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think like similar to an in-person classroom, community building is really important, right? You have the models of community of inquiry and online education that are really important to establish presence. Um, but uh, really, you can't establish community unless you are willing to share some experiences or some stories, right, with the students. It's, it's hard to connect online and get them motivated unless they really know who you are. Like I said before, you know, in an in-person environment, you have more opportunities to understand the context, right? Um, you're seeing the instructor all the time. You're seeing the dynamics between the students and the faculty. You're potentially seeing that instructor in a hallway, you know, during the week, but you don't necessarily get that in an online environment. So it's that those first few weeks of establishing trust with the student is essential. Um, but also, I think one of the things that I've done in my online classes is to understand that in an online environment, it's really important to have students bring some of their funds of knowledge and some of that information back into the classroom so that you're not just um, the instructor, you're facilitating content, but they are also bringing in new knowledge to the classroom and the way that it's built. One example that I can share is I, every five weeks in my online classes, we have these showcase, showcase weeks. And um, it's a week that is student-led, um, and they basically share information that they have found about a topic that has been covered in the class, and we put it into an online digital repository. And so the idea with that is that the students are providing information and knowledge. We're putting it into a digital repository that will benefit future students who are taking the class. You know, it's interesting maybe to just kind of um, zoom in a little bit on the online environment, because I think that's a big part of our podcast, too. How does that integrate into the teaching, whether it's online or hybrid? Nicole and I have been discussing with many of our guests this idea that it appears and there are some trends that showing that some of the quieter students, especially, uh, but not necessarily, tend to show up a little bit better in an online environment, be it not necessarily through uh, raising hand and opening their opinions, but they could use, for example, text-based communication to comment on something, to make a suggestion. So that's kind of becomes by its nature a little bit more inclusive for a particular subset of students. I don't know if you found it in your work, if, and maybe there are some other tools that were helpful to bring students more into the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I consider myself to be an introverted student and, and you know, in many ways still an instructor. And so I very much feel more comfortable in an online environment than I do in an in-person. And I think it really has to do with that hidden curriculum, if you think about it, because there is this message of performance. So, you know, who, who, who stands to the top in performance? Who is the one that's always answering, right? And there's a, there's a little game behind that, right, from an in-person environment. But those barriers break down uh, more in an online environment, um, although it can be harder because you, in breaking down the barriers, you don't know what the expectations are. It also opens the opportunities for students to, to truly shine in the way that they can shine the best. 
So one, one activity that I have done in the past is uh, it's a shared Google Excel sheet called um, Two Stars and a Wish. And it comes from, believe it or not, K through 12 education um, and having students say, you know, two, two stars, two good things that I learned in this class and a wish. What would I want to learn more? And so having the students interact in that Google Doc really helps uh, those introverted students to really communicate some of the things that they're thinking about, but it also helps the whole class together because now we, you know, the instructor knows, well, you know, next class I need to focus on this area or we should open opportunities for that discussion that on a topic that they would have wanted more information on. Um, and also share the good things that they're learning in the community and, and seeing how each, each they can help each other in the process. No, that's that's really cool about breaking down the barriers, because I think everybody had various experiences with students. And I think obviously there are some cases when students would just check out and maybe browse on social media while they're listening to the lecture. But for many of us, it's also hard to ignore the fact that there are tools that help to bring students together, help them to connect, help them to voice their opinions. And, you know, obviously there, there's a big role of an instructor to help shape that because, you know, you couldn't be also browsing the social media while sitting in a classroom. So, yeah, you know, and I've never, you know, personally, I know that uh, some instructors may disagree, but even in an in-person classroom, I, I personally had never had a problem with students looking and using electronics um, for the classroom. Uh, as long as you, you purposefully create the assignments that would integrate these technologies in a way that would enhance their learning experience. I, I think that's where really where the issue comes, that there's a disconnect between how the course is delivered and how you integrate with the realities of these students, right? You know, maybe a, a, an in-person classroom experience can be, you know, I need you to help me search information on this engineer that we were going to be discussing about today, right? And so, you know, having students engage on their phones for the purpose of knowledge building is different than, you know, having two disjointed, you know, I'm going to teach this topic and, you know, the student is demotivated already and zoned out and looking at their phone. So integrating them meaningfully and purposefully, I think is really important. Also in an online environment, it's the same way. Um, you know, how are they using the technology to bring knowledge to the community of learners? So we know the, the written curriculum, it doesn't change. Well, not very often, right? Research says the curriculum lacks research like 15 years or something. But the students change from year to year. Um, but we also have to recognize that our engineering professors are of a certain demographic, most of them. So how do we convince them or even get them to be moderately interested in this understanding that the students they have, it's not like the students that they first taught when they came into academia, I don't know, 30 plus years ago. How do we get them to buy into this idea of trying to reach as much of their students as possible? Yeah, that's a that's a much larger systemic problem than, than we have time to talk to the, up to today. But I will say that um, I think the more disconnected you are from your experience as a student, the more danger there is that the hidden curriculum becomes a norm and the status quo. And my, my work has shown that, that 
as you become a full professor, it's almost as if you forget, right? And, and, and you become that system that you've bought maybe as a student, right? So I think recognizing that faculty, even at the later stages of the career, are also affected by the hidden curriculum in many ways. And, I, you know, I, I just had a conversation just to share with a senior faculty member about a week ago, and they were saying that they felt that, you know, they are disregarded because they are getting older in the academic environment, right? And it alludes to ageism, right? And I think that, um, you know, they didn't really express it in that way, but they were talking about how they can't keep up with the new expectations of the university environment and how hidden curriculum is affecting them, right? So I think to be able to reach the students, the faculty has to get an awareness that they too are being affected by this, right? And if they can recognize that hidden curriculum affects everyone in different ways, then maybe that might open up doors of communication with their students because the students are trying to figure out this new system. The older faculty are trying to figure out this new system. Um, and rather than taking their, their sides and saying, well, you know, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong, maybe this may open some channels of communication to try to understand how, how hidden curriculum is affecting each one of them. I hope that answered your question. It did, thank you. You know, I mean, it seems that in a way there's this also theme about, and we kind of talked about, you know, whether teaching in person or teaching online, connecting um, with students, building trust, but also humanizing this experience and also maybe trying to understand better the stereotypes, why we had them about, you know, what does it mean to be an engineer, what the engineer looks like or doesn't. I'm just wondering also, maybe coming back to this question about online or in person or hybrid. Does it make any difference for instructors? And maybe it's a little bit of a repeat question. How do they humanize this connection with students, this experience? Does it matter in what environment they teach? And I guess maybe what I'm saying, if there's any data on that, um, that from instructional standpoint, is it easier to kind of connect to students in one uh, environment or the other? Um, actually, there isn't any literature that suggests that it makes a difference. Really, what it comes down to is how how aware the instructor and the student is about the presence of hidden curriculum, how it's affecting them, and whether or not they're being intentional in um, opening channels of communication to either um, clarify expectations or to... Uh, at a minimum, minimize any potential assumptions that they may be making about each other in, in, in the classroom. So it doesn't matter what medium that happens in. And I guess another question is also for, you know, I think it's, again, generally maybe different personality types, but it's always, especially in a professional work, many um, try to find a safe zone for them. And especially when you instruct right now in the age when students can video your lecture and maybe post some, you know, some pieces of what you said out of context, post it on the, um, on social media and such cases happen. So I feel like a lot of the instructors might have this internal sort of self-preserving, um, approach to things, you know, to find their safe zone and maybe not necessarily to find it easier to stay in that zone. 
and not to come out of it. And I think things that we're talking about, connecting with students, addressing different issues, might not be as comfortable. And potentially, maybe uh, it might have some implications on instructors. Um, what advice would you give to instructors to kind of dealing with that and thinking about it and figuring out, you know what, maybe I'll just keep it to the content and students will learn about it in social science classes and I don't have to go and I don't have to humanize this experience, but we'll focus on conceptual learning instead. Right. No, and, and, and I think that's a very legitimate um, concern that a lot of instructors have. Um, I, you know, and, and every every instructor has a, a different approach in a different situation, but I would say, generally speaking, um, that really comes down to the expectations they establish at the beginning of the classroom in their syllabi, right? So what are the best ways to communicate? Uh, what is acceptable and non-acceptable behaviors in the classroom, right? If recording happens, what, what could potentially be the consequences of that? But also being open enough to open other forms of communication with students you know, it's amazing with, you know, what has happened with the pandemic, for example, and virtual office hours, right, as a complement to in-person hours. And um, maybe that's an opportunity for the instructor to, you know, create some listening sessions or create some opportunities for topical office hours. You know, you want to talk about uh, the career and what, what is it like to become an engineer? Come to this virtual office hour that I open to you. Um, you know, I think, I think instructors have a lot of power to control that narrative as well, um, but also cue more inclusion to the students. It doesn't necessarily happen within the four walls of a classroom. There are other ways to cue exclusion um, in online forms. So um, as it relates to perceptions of who gets to be an engineer and what engineers do, right? There is always this, um, I know there were research done around it, changing the conversation about you have to be good at math and science. But earlier you talked about the students' funds of knowledge, and I know that's another research space. Can you talk a little bit about what funds of knowledge are and how they're useful in the classroom? Absolutely, I mean, fun, funds of knowledge are, the knowledge spaces that you bring, whether it's related to your upbringing, your cultural background, um, what you have learned through out of school experiences and whatnot, you know, so maybe you are really good at carpentry and you're really good at art and you're really good at maker spaces and stuff like that. So these are all experiences that students just get outside of the classroom, but very seldom do they have the opportunity to bring it into the classroom. Um, and so recognizing that everyone comes with a set of strengths already coming into the classroom rather than thinking that students um, come with a deficit is really important. Um, because it creates more community between the instructor and the students and the instructor no longer sees the students as, oh, I'm responsible to just convey information to them and I am the authority in the knowledge that I'm bringing to the classroom. It creates more of an opportunity for a community of learners coming together and learning from each other. Dallas, and I guess more kind of practical question that we typically ask our guests is, uh, what are the two, three things that an instructor, engineering or STEM instructor, can start doing 
this semester in the classroom without maybe necessarily completing a professional development on the topic, if you have any recommendations? Yeah, I mean, a, a simple thing that they can do in the first couple of uh, weeks of a class is a, a quick minute paper saying what are the expectations that you have of this class and what expectations do you have of me? Um, I think that second question never gets asked. Um, and I think it's important that the instructor knows where students stand. And then um, in the same vein, that opportunity can be taken so that, you know, the instructor can convey what are the expectations that they have about the students, right, in a, a follow-up conversation. So that's, that's a simple maybe five-minute exercise that they can do in the classroom. Um, I would say a, a second thing that... Um, that they could do is um, if, if they have teaching assistants, I don't know if they do or not, but you know, having some teaching assistants become their eyes and ears in the classroom, kind of hear what, what's going on amongst the students, what are they talking about, and then uh, crafting opportunities, whether that's in an office hour or an assignment to maybe clarify some of those concerns and some of those expectations. I would say ju just don't leave things unattended to until the point of student evaluations because I think that's that's too late. Um, they, they need to start addressing it earlier. I think um, the point of student evaluations is very interesting, especially for the faculty where teaching is their primary role. They may be a little bit afraid of shaking things up because they know students have certain expectations. And we want to reach engineering instructors. So how do you what advice do you have for instructors who do want to be more attuned to these issues, but they don't want to make some students upset? That's a good question. Um, I, th I think really it comes down to clarifying, clarifying the intent behind why they choose to do certain things. Um, so for example, and, and putting it in a context that the students generally can ascribe to. So I'll give you an example. Um, I have a good friend of mine who is a, a lecturer, and he he's a big proponent of diversity, equity, and inclusion. He's also international, doesn't, you know, not a native English speaker. And so one of the things that he says in the first week of class is, um, you know, I, I know that I don't speak English as well as other people. But as an engineer, the likelihood that you will end up engaging with global partners is really high and communicating with people who don't necessarily talk English in the same way is going to be important for your professional formation. And I think that's a really nice example and students when they realize, oh, that's true, right? Most likely I won't be interacting with only English speakers um, in the future. It, it changes already the dynamic and um, and, and, and the way that students see even an interaction with an instructor to, to help them in their professional formation later on. So I, I think really clarifying some of those things. Um, and also I would say uh, instructors who are seeking to introduce course innovation, I, I know that a lot of instructors and, and lecturers try to do that, um, but, but realizing that students may not have had exposure to any of these innovations prior to you is equally important. And so um, rather than trying to introduce all innovations in one semester, recognizing that that may not be realistic and that, you know, maybe subtle changes initially is what is needed 
so that, um, and, and clarification, you know, I'm going to change this assignment because I think it's going to connect better to your profession for this reason. And here's the literature that, that backs this, this um, decision up. I think it's much easier than to try to do a course overhaul, which would then set student evaluations and skew them in a way that puts the lecturers in a vulnerable position. Dallas, I also have a question. In your opinion, what what the future engineering classroom should look like? Or maybe what's your desired engineering classroom? And also what type of professional development of engineering faculty or maybe STEM at large would get us there? Thank you. That's an excellent question. I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of classroom without walls. Um, I, I think we've structured the classroom environment so much that we have in the process narrowed down what knowledge is and what knowledge can be acquired. So, so keeping an openness to, uh, you know, even, and I, and I say walls, you know, not necessarily physical walls, but it could be disciplinary walls and, you know, what can you learn from other majors and finding ways for students to interact with different forms of knowledge is, is really important. And I, I think the, the future engineer will have to be social science savvy as well as technically engineering savvy. Um, they have to be able to have emotional intelligence, read the world around them, uh, have empathy for others, and truly be able to understand context in a way that is beyond what is currently being taught. For that, I think uh, instructors will need to learn things like cultural context, contextual communication, um, maybe have more international type of study abroad experiences for professors um, so that they can realize the world is changing around them. Um, and it's not just for the students, it's for them as well. Thank you. That's really interesting. So we will share with our audience some of the links to your work papers and anything that you would feel would be relevant to this conversation.